0: Welcome to Challenging the Status Quo Podcast Season 2 brought to you by Digital Savages with your host Amir Sabirovich. On the previous episode of Challenging the Status Quo, our challenger and guest was Emin Kececi, the alchemist at Masters with Dreams. Emin's dream and vision are to open up a school that will be in an educational candy shop, where every student can enjoy the educational sweets that fit their talents. He's on a mission to help others grow, and by doing that, he grows himself. You have to be comfortable with the uncomfortable, that is his life's motto. And here's a short part of our conversation.
1: Uh, that, that, that really uh,
0: empowered me. And still, um, I have this quote now on my, my, uh, my uh, laptop as a, a wallpaper. And he said, you were born with potential. You were born with goodness and trust. You were born with ideals and dreams. You were born with greatness. You were born with wings. You are not, You are not meant for crawling, so don't. You have things, learn to use them and fly. This is a quote of Bloomie that really symbolize eh, the, the illusions that I had to empower it and to, to, to shift it and eventually be the best version of myself. And this is uh, also to mention the favorite quote of my dad. So now he gave it to me and now it's on my uh, wallpaper at the moment. So I read it out. I hope you enjoyed Emin's life's journey and how you can empower others to start changing their life. And now we can welcome our following guest. Hi everyone and welcome to yet another episode of Challenging the Status Quo. Today, the challenger of the status quo is Saskia Harkama. She has multiple functions, international functions, but one of the most significant one is Phases of Change. It's a foundation that works for refugees, displaced people, marginalized and disfranchised group. And she's going to tell us all about it. So I'm really looking forward to hear her story. Welcome, Saskia. Awesome to have you on the show. Yes, happy to be here. Izaskia, yeah, you have listened to a few of our podcasts, so you see this question coming up. But can you tell us what your background is and how you got where you are right now? And please don't spare us the details.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, this has been an, a winding road, I would say, not a straight line. So I started in, in the private sector. I have a background as a in sociology, business administration, and I worked for a very long time for. Um, yeah, also multinationals. And then at um, when I was uh, 38, I decided I wanted to change the course of my life and career. I did a PhD in innovation sciences and I switched to academia. And uh, I've been in academia teaching and doing research and um, uh, for a long time also. I have a very... Would say practical approach to to science. So I I believe it's very important in scientific research that we also are able to apply it. So it has to be uh, of some use um, to, to to the world and <laughs> to people. And um, and also because I, I grew up in uh, in South America, my my parents sought a life of adventure. I was born in Holland. My parents were also born in Holland, but my parents wanted a life of adventure. So I left Holland when I was one year old and I lived throughout my childhood and adolescence in South America. And this has been very defining in my life. And uh, this also, of course, confronted me with the fact that there are many societies uh, where there is a lot of poverty in other countries where I lived, not only that, they are also in terms of the rule of law and in terms of the institutional framework, they're fragile states. So I grew up with this and so I also more and more, um, my work as a human rights defender has become important. And I, this has resulted in me setting up uh, phases of change. This also has a very personal motive because besides the fact that I grew up in South America, I also have an adopted daughter. She comes from Colombia. She's now uh, 20, 23, and, uh, but I adopted her when she was four and a half. And I went to, um, you know, to, to Colombia to, to be with her uh, in a period w- where Colombia was also one of the most conflict affected areas. And so I would say that there the seeds were planted for my work as a human rights defender. And uh, so I set up Faces of Change. We've always seen people that are displaced for whatever reason as talent on the move. So we refuse to label them as victims or as people that somehow... um, yeah, don't have a specific place in our societies and by seeing them as talents on the move we always invested heavily in entrepreneurship and programs that allow people to become active and valued citizens in their host communities and societies well this eventually resulted also in us developing a program impact leaders international which um, which is a very successful program i would say because um, uh, in this program, we are m- mostly transferring all our knowledge experience and, and yeah everything that we've learned to train people to become trainers in their communities. So this is, um, yeah, I think uh, I have left academia. I left, a, I had a fixed position in, in a university. Into 2018, I decided to leave it completely because I felt I really need to have the freedom to do things as I I want to do them. And in any organization, you somehow have to fit into a specific box, I would say.
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, I, I felt I don't fit in, in that box anymore because education is, is very rigid in that sense. And this allowed me to, uh, yeah, really experiment and do a lot of things. And I would say um, this freedom is also a source of creativity. And what this has resulted in uh, in all the things that we are doing at the moment.
0: Well, that's really interesting because you're so, so you grew up in a, a country or or a part of the world which does not resemble the modern West, quote unquote. Um, and you have returned to the netherlands what has done this with your way of we way of looking things your perceptions to how we cope with stress with things that uh, did you experience right now during the pandemic or what you can read about
2: yeah it was for me try to imagine i was 18 at the time that i came back to holland and i had never lived in holland so It was for me, I went, came back to live here because I didn't know where else to go because my parents still were traveling in in South America. And I thought, well, I have to go live somewhere. So it was just kind of coincidence that I ended up in Holland, I would say, (laughs) (laughs) because my grandparents lived here and my brother was here. So I thought, well, this is a good place to be near people that I I know and... (laughs) but it was really a culture shock because uh, i thought wow the way people are living here it's all so organized it's so you know what what is life in South America and in other parts of the world. And this is what I really like. It's so messy, you know, it's not perfect. It's messy because life is messy. And the more messier it is, I think the more people are really also in touch with their true nature. It's more somehow humane, you know, you, I don't know, this is what I feel that, um, so I have, being in South America is is really feeling what life is about in all its, yeah, also um, imperfection, and this is what I really like. And here I think we are so privileged, and we've somehow also become a bit uh, um, distanced ourselves from what being uh, what uh, being humane is about. We also are approaching this whole pandemic in a very, I call it a very technocratic way, you know, with Excel sheets and with graphs and with experts, so-called experts, you know, science is not perfect. And for me, it's very um, strange the way we approach it.
0: Would you say if if you yeah. have less, uh, if you have less, then you value your life yeah. more.
2: Yeah, and you you give so much. You give so much more. This is what I find so. Also, when I I've been working very intensively with refugees, and basically they have lost everything. They have lost pro- mostly their, all their possessions. They have lost their houses. They have lost the place where they were born. But they have so much to give. This is I where I found that. This is where I also. Uh, discovered the true value of having things it's meaningless the most important thing that you have is yourself and the people around you this is what is represents the real value and this is why it's so difficult this uh, the way we are approaching this covid 19 uh, crisis because basically we are saying to people you have to detach yourself from that what is the most valuable in your life and that's another human being and of course, you can have all kinds of reasons to do so for, you know, for health, and but still, you should allow people also not to feel guilty about it when you feel this urge, but I really do need to hug you, or I do need to touch you, or I need to embrace you, because this is what makes us human, and this is what keeps us going. And to be honest, and I'm totally not, uh, um, you know, because it's a very black and white discussion. I'm not denying the existence of Corona, whatever. But after the first lockdown, I felt I, felt I was like living like a plant in, an, in a greenhouse. And I decided there, I cannot do this. So every time I, I have to make this judgment, but I have hugged a lot of people to be honest. Because I felt this is what makes me human. I just could not not do it. And this is the value. The value is not in the things. The value is not in the titles. The value is not in the houses, the cars, the six trips a year. And the value is in who we are and what we have to give to each other.
0: Do you think that the way that capitalism work in the modern West has forced us to exchange material goods for Human being a human being?
2: Well, I think if you look at capitalism in its pure form, it was in a sense, you could say, developed by Adam Smith in 1775. So if you look at the source of capitalism, you could say, well, it kind of makes sense because this was a feudal society and this was a very unequal society. And somehow, of course, we had to get rid of this inequality and we had to give, um, yeah, also the improve the standard of living of more people than just the privileged. So somehow it made sense. But we forget that Adam Smith had a very very clear vision on what this this meant, you know, this uh, creating wealth. First of all, that it would be distributed evenly among people. And also, he said it is finite. He predicted at that time that at a certain moment, growth would stop. And this has also been confirmed by later economists. But somehow, capitalism has become this relentless uh, machine for more wealth, more accumulation of wealth, more growth, and it's an, a never-ending cycle. And I think this is where we miss also a more fundamental discussion, and a more also ethical discussion about what should we pursue and what shouldn't we pursue. I at, When I was studying um, Sociology. I wrote my thesis about the relation between technological development and culture and how technological development could go at the expense also of our cultural identity and of what culture is about. It was so interesting to look back in, in time, and I read books um, from Josef Weizenbaum. He was a very well-known scholar at that time, and he already predicted that if we don't um, take care of of what I call reifying the machine, reifying the machine is making it like something which is uh, paramount in our lives, then we will also, that will go at the expense also of our humanity. He already predicted that in the, it was in the 1990s and people like Sherry Turkle. And of course, technological development is something fantastic. I think it's really fantastic. But we are the ones that are in control and it shouldn't be the other way around, I think. And there are many people that, yeah, that, that are aware. Yeah.
0: Uh, you, you say that actually, you know, the business on its own is relentless and they just expect growth, 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 growth. And this is also what is expected from human beings, right? You yeah. have to grow, you have to, yeah. you know, continuously. I, I believe in self-growth and self-evolvement uh, continuously by paying you know, reading, exercising, yeah. Yeah. whatever. But that doesn't mean that ha- that has to equal in in work, right? So do you feel that uh, we are at the brink of a moral bankruptcy as, as humankind, if this trend continues to go like it is?
2: Well, I think the moral bankruptcy, to be honest, is already visible. You know, I think uh, in my view, we had a historical chance with this pandemic, because of course, this is a very big crisis to say, wait a minute. This is something which we are facing all over the world, a crisis which is going to affect many lives because we knew that in all kinds of different ways. And we had an historical opportunity to say, well, wait a minute. We're not now going to use the market mechanism to tackle this. We are going to, we're going to show solidarity with each other. We're going to say, okay, now we have to join hands and tap into all the knowledge, experience, and money there is to try to solve this together. But we didn't do that. So because the fact that we, uh, yeah, immediately, the decision was taken that vaccines, I think 150 different places vaccines were developed. I thought, yeah, there you go again. Mm -hmm. And now you see already that it's only the privileged countries that even have access to these vaccines. The poor countries don't have access to them. So this has reinforced, you could say, or, or made visible what the effect of capitalism is. This is the effect. And not only that, because it's also that uh, the the effect of the pandemic. And I I work all over the world. I talk to people daily all over the world in Latin America and Africa and Asia. And, and um, so many people have lost their means to s- even survive. There are not people dying of corona. There are people dying of hunger. So they are starving. And I think this is um yeah, this is really um. Very, very unfortunate that that we didn't take this opportunity to say. For instance, now I'm trying. You know, and it's so difficult, so painful to hear. We're all very concerned about Brazil. What's happening in Brazil? You know, because Brazil, this president that you know is kind of been denying the existence of corona. He's even uh, telling their his governors that they should open up everything. So it's a very difficult situation, and it's getting out of hand there, and. Um, what I'm hearing from the people, you know, uh, directly from, from people living there also. The biggest problem is they don't even have enough masks. People don't even have, so even if they would wish the civil citizens, you know, to protect themselves, they don't have enough masks. And I think what kind of world have we created that we are not acting upon what's really necessary, even at the most basic level? because now we're trying to figure out, okay, how can we somehow get masks? It, it seems that the, in that group already, a shipment was sent to, to Brazil, and it's stuck somewhere in customs. You know, I think this is, we never make, when it comes to crisis or difficult situations, we never choose for the option of saying, what is humane, what is socially just, no, it also it's political. It's also economic. No, it's about in the end, it's all about our humanity.
0: So, actually, if I understand you correctly, as as human beings, right, as as well thinking human beings, we have lost our human core values, and everything has to go. Uh, through a technocratic political uh, process, which has nothing to do about what is humanly necessary to resolve a situation.
2: No, because I think if we ta- if we really are really connected with who we are as uh, human beings, then we also take proper decisions and we, we act in a responsible way. We act in the interest also, not only of ourselves, of, of each other. And then all these restrictions wouldn't be felt or be necessary in this extreme form. You know, here in Holland, if I now go to a shop, I have to make an appointment. Um, to a minimum 10 minutes. And and then I said, okay, that's okay. You know, I find it a bit, okay, this is the decision. And then uh, she said to me, yes, but you also are getting an email um, in which you confirm the appointment. I said, but what's the point? I mean, you are now making the appointment with me. You are seeing it in your database. What's the point of me having to show you... The email. She said, Yeah, but anyone can come. I said, No, because you already have made the appointment. So in your system, it's already visible that you made the appointment. And then she said, Oh, no, but this is the rules. I thought, This is the problem. She's not thinking anymore. She's not saying, Okay, but this doesn't make sense. So she's not saying that to me. Yeah, you're right. She probably doesn't say it to her boss. So people are becoming like robot like. They're just. I don't know how many times you hear on a day, yeah, these are the rules, yeah, but do they make sense? People don't ask that question, do they make sense? And this is very fundamental. So I, said, I even said to her, because she said, do you have symptoms? I said, well, you know, even before Corona, if I have symptoms, I stay in my bed because I, I don't go out if I'm ill. So you don't need to ask me that in a sense. So we've, we've come to distrust people and, and, and this, all these questions are reinforcing this idea that I cannot trust you, you have to fill in forms, I have to ask you all kinds of questions, as if I would not be responsible enough and caring enough to also take care of you as another human being. This is what's happening.
0: I don't know we, we, yeah, we have we yeah. have drops uh, we have dropped our critical thinking and actually questioning things uh, on a mode-based level and are being led like sheep without thinking
2: yeah this is what what they want us to do you, you just shut up and do as you're told and shut up and do as you're told this is not acting in a in a humane way when you say that to people I think this is um, it's also disrespectful to, to us. Because of course, there are many people that, my, there, there are no, not many, there are people that are irresponsible, but they will not listen anyway. You know, so, so, and you're doing all these measures because of them. So then you have to start thinking, okay, how can I reach them? Because more measures, more restrictions, you're not going to reach them anyway. So there's something wrong there. You have to get to the root cause of what's going wrong there and by more repression more uh, you know punishment sanctions this is only going to make it worse
0: it seemed like a dictatorship like
2: well you know i i i grew up <laughs> in dictatorships <laughs> in argentina and in in colombia and so i thought yeah this is how very quick very slowly you know rights are taken away the fact that in this weekend, the veterans from Second World War stood as a cordon uh, in front of the the protesters against the corona measures, irrespective of whether they are right or wrong. I'm not talking about that. They were exercising their right to demonstrate. This is a a, a constitutional right. But the fact that the veterans from Second World War stood there to protect them, this is for me a sign. They're sending out a message, wait a minute. We still have to be very careful that we don't take away all kinds of rights, supposedly because it's in the interest of our national health or something. But in the meantime, you're robbing us of our constitutional rights. So if there is so much discontent, try to find out what is the source of this discontent instead of only trying to use more repression to try to silence them and tear gas them and, and water cannons i think what what is this we are not this is this is for me like kafka
0: yeah it's uh, uh, george orwell right 1984
2: <laughs> yeah and but in a in a in a in a situation which doesn't justify this kind of these kind of
0: measures it's not justifiable. I, I get you totally. And if you would, uh, so if you if you take all these experiences uh, that you have and you view it the world right now, when would you be happy? What is what is your definition of success?
2: For me, the definition of success is that um, if um, for for myself personally, is if I'm able to. Um, make a difference in someone's life and it can be even with something small and for me that's what success is It's every one of us somehow makes a different in difference in someone's life and it can be very unexpected and i think, I think this is uh... this is what for me defines I don't know if I like the word success, but your your meaning in life, because that's what success
0: is about. Yeah, maybe we 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 have taken over too much the uh, societal definition of success, and that is what everybody defines success right now. Well, the meaning or meaning of life and meaning of your existence. Is much more important than
2: yeah and in a sense i have to be honest about that i also fell into that trap the first part of my career i told you i studied sociology, at a business administration i did a phd so i kind of walked that path of okay this is how you make a career you have to aim for the highest and then to discover that in the end this is meaningless if you are not really connected with who you, who you truly are and what, what you want to be. So we, we, this is partly also our educational system, and I'm seeing that very much uh, because I work a lot with young people, that they, they feel so pressed and pressured to achieve, often beyond not only their own capacity, but even beyond, and that's more fundamental, beyond what they truly want. You know, still young people cannot come home and say, you know, mom, I just want to be a pop singer or something like that. Most people will say, oh, no, 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 no. This is, you have to first become an engineer. And if you then, um, um, besides in your free time, want to become a pop singer, but don't choose to become a pop singer. (laughs) So this is, it's on one hand, of course, it's understandable because I'm also a parent, but still it's a very strange way of raising our children to press them into some kind of box that we've thought out for them because this gives them security, but are, will it make them happy? I think this is the, the most important question.
0: But do you think that this is how the world should work? Because uh, I, I'm continuously repeating myself on, on this podcast regarding <laughs> the education and, 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 and conditioned societies that, you know, uh, if you even go to the elementary school, you always have one teacher that is telling you how the world looks like, looks like. And when you say, I want to do this, then you will hear, well, that is not possible. So your creativity, your will to achieve something else then that is presented to you is being cut down from the early age. Uh, and impossible is something that is impossible for somebody else, not for you. I believe that you can achieve anything that you put yourself up to um and that is because in the end you also come into a work environment where you have one guy or woman telling you how the world works like or the company so you have to obey uh there is no there is no company where there are free souls running around doing whatever they would like to do but they have to abide and conform and their condition from the early age up to the career. And I just question whether that's the system that is doing that or are we the ones responsible of conditioning ourselves like that not breaking free
2: well we have to be aware that we are being conditioned so in that sense the the epic film of charlie chaplin modern times at that time already showed you know how this works this conditioning it's just you're basically programming people to think in a certain way and behave in a certain way and it all starts with your beliefs and your norms and your values this is why i always when in our trainings and all our programs we start with The tree of life we call it so we can compare ourselves to a tree and you have to go back and i've done this so many times not only with students but also with professionals go back to your your core you know what what did you learn what was important to you and then they rediscover many things which they had forgotten about and how they have drifted away in a sense from that source because the system expected it from them because it's true what you say it's, it's, it's a supply chain very bluntly put you know it's a supply chain and it is the supply chain is you you have to go through this system and you have to come out uh, with a degree and worse of that we, we approach it like a supply chain with the same indicators. so it has to be efficient it has to be effective but we are talking about human resources here we're talking about people about unique human beings and we are treating them like commodities you know you put them in into some chain and then they have to come out uh, and we decide when you are successful or not and if you don't fit into that chain then you're an outlier so it's uh, and this system was developed you have to if you think about it it was developed with scientific taylorism it's already the 1870s and we are still using the same concepts and mechanism in education. So one of the things that we really have to change is this, because it robs us of our uniqueness, it robs us of our ability to be super creative, imaginative, and it yes, really pulls us into a, a straitjacket of, okay, this is what we expect from you. And we, we um, uh, the rewards, and this is, of course, also psychological. The reward is that you get a degree, and if you don't, if you don't fulfill, then we punish you because you then don't get a degree. This is how you condition people. But if you think about, what, yeah, what humanity is about, it's incredible that we are still sustaining these systems in this way
0: it, uh, it, it's a it's funny thing that you said though about the degree one of the the guests here said a university degree is a certificate of brain damage
2: <laughs> yeah in a sense it is it's a and, and of
0: co- conforming to the system <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so you, you shouldn't uh, be yeah. happy with it <laughs> you no, and, and you you said uh it's a supply chain definitely and and the most Interesting thing is that we consider ourselves, and it's also the terminology. We say human resources like it's ore, like we can delve like a few (laughs) dozens of people. Uh, Why don't we change it in human beings? Yeah, that's true. It's not human resources. No. Uh, It's an untappable resource of of humans. Uh, We can delve them at any spot. it's, uh, it, I, I hope it changes, but uh, that change will, uh, will take a lot. Hey, um, what inspires you?
2: Oh, so many things. Music inspires me.
0: <laughs> I really
2: find uh, inspiration in music, in nature. I love poetry and I love writing. My passion is really writing. I discovered that because I think, you know, in that sense, I was also the, the fruit of this... Um, um, Way of thinking that you had to become, you had to have a career or a lot of uh, study a lot to to develop a career. But writing is really my passion, and it was a very funny story. How I start? How did I start writing? I was teaching in uh, a group of students. I did that for a long time. Every summer, as a kind of summer academy, summer course for students from all over the world, and I was teaching them. Um, on leadership and one of the things, one of the films I showed to them is the Finding Joe. It's about uh, the hero's journey of Joseph Campbell and beautiful. It's a beautiful documentary about that uh, story of, of um, Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey. Basically it says that we have to see our life as a hero's journey, you know, with dragons that we have to slay, adventures that we have to confront, obstacles we have to overcome. And, but the ultimate is finding your bliss, and finding your bliss is really what really truly makes you happy because then you will become the hero in your life journey. And while I was talking to them to this, I said, what am I doing, you know, I'm as a teacher telling them to find their bliss, but what is my bliss? So I watched the film again and I thought, I've always wanted to write. I've written, of course, a lot of scientific articles and books. but..." I really like writing just any type of writing novels or so I said you know what I'm going to do that and there and then I said to the students I'm going to write a book (laughs) because I thought I have to tell them (laughs) and in 2018 my first book appeared it was uh, based on my work with Syrian um, freedom fighters and last year my second book and now my third book so it's never too late. You're on to the roll. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's never too late to, to reach for the sky. If I think one of my, one of the things that I failed to do, but I'm not someone who regrets things. I should have understood much earlier that you have to reach for the sky and really have to try to find your bliss because this is what, this is how you can then make a difference in someone's life. You may not have six cars. You may not have five houses. But you will be happy. Yeah, I, I,
0: I think the material goods uh, will never fulfill your soul. No, you will always be empty because yeah. there is no amount of material goods that you can yeah. have that can. While while giving is so enriching. Yeah. Whatever you give away, pay it forward. Whether it's knowledge, whether it's uh, material things, whether it's a hug or a handshake uh, or. Or a good dialogue, it's, yeah, it's so fulfilling. Always, especially if that person, your counterpart, uh, is growing through that, it, it helps them really yeah, a lot.
2: Yeah, it's it's sharing. I think that's that's so important because personally, but this is you know I don't like this idea of um, you helping someone because it creates a kind of inequality. I really like more the idea of sharing. Because even if you are are on the streets, living on the streets, or you have lost everything, your value as a human being hasn't changed. You're invaluable. And I think this is super important that we see each other, we did, yeah, approach each other in that way. And not first, oh, what did your father do? Or what did you study? Or where are you working? No, who are you? What are your dreams? What is your passion? What are the things that really you, you, you enjoy doing. I think that's so important. And it makes a difference. I can give you a small example. I have a, I live in, in the outside, um, the city in nature. I have a, the, the front part of an old farm and I have a small uh, guest house also. So occasionally, you know, I rent that out to people. And 10 days ago, someone called me and said, okay, I need a place to stay. I said, sure, no problem, but I have a dog. And that's, of course, a problem with hotels. Corona, he had been trying. He couldn't uh, find a place, you know, Corona, Corona, Corona. (laughs) So I said, no, you can stay here. And then I heard his story. And um, so he he was um, um, a a music producer, very successful producer of music would always also produce, for instance, for... um, for prints and then I thought how, how do you end up like this because he said I, I lived for two years on the streets I lost everything and um, well it was a misfortune a manager that um, that took away or went left with all his money and he had to sell his house so he ended up on the streets because this is what happens and he'd been living two years in a in a jeep with his dog and also partly in parks And now he is in the guest house in my home and this is, um, how can you, how do you approach this? Because, you know, I didn't know this and he's, he said, wow, you know, that, that after two years now, I finally have a roof over my head. I always also think that the universe somehow conspires to bring people together to create a meaningful encounter or something like that. I, I agree we are totally there with that. To, we are there to help each other. So now he's uh, again back on track somehow with his family. And I, without having that intention, I have been meaning am meaningful in his life. And then he will continue his path. And this is what we, this is for me success. That we, Yeah mean something in someone's life in unexpected ways.
0: Not having the intention, but actually... No, uh, what it you just happens. Yeah, what, what you said, its universe always um, yeah.
1: inspires
0: to cross the path of people yeah. that need each other at a certain point, at a certain period in time, and when that happens I,
2: I could have said you know because it's corona robot like sorry this is this is the protocol and the corona measures blah 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 but i felt like i don't know why i'm just you know I, <laughs> <laughs> and then probably he wouldn't have you know, stayed here i wouldn't have met him i wouldn't have meant something else. i would have followed the protocol i would have been an obedient citizen but I wouldn't have been uh, given meaning to someone in someone's life. So this is the chance we miss. And we are missing that daily with this corona because there are so many people that are behaving in, in like
0: robots. A law-abiding citizen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Rule-abiding <laughs> citizen. Rule,
0: okay, sorry. <laughs> hey, uh, Is there something you would like to leave to the world?
2: Well, we have now, I think this is Become really very urgent. When the pandemic broke out, we felt because of, of course, our work with um, refugees and marginalized and disenfranchised group we have to uh, create a platform to, to, to hear how they're doing because everybody will forget about them. You know, I told you this is what capitalism is about. The, the privilege that they try to save themselves and the marginalized, they uh, yeah, become even more marginalized. So we set up a platform, Voice for the Voiceless, um, to create a space for people to share their stories And uh, this was picked up also in Latin America. We wrote articles, we were in conference on this topic, but then we felt this is not enough because we heard also stories about people on the ground really working with communities. And I'm not speaking about the big NGOs because this is also kind of a system. It has become a system, but really the small NGOs, you know, with people working day and night trying to improve the, the lives of the community. And then we developed a program. We developed a, a program on peace building and impact leadership. And we presented that during the Geneva Peace Week in 2020. And this was, this has apparently struck a chord because we are, what we are doing is, why I train a trainer? We want to transfer everything we know because we don't want it to depend on us. We want people to be able to work with their community. Yeah, we, we, we struck a, 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 a court, awesome. a sensitive court, and we are being approached from all over the world to, to give these trainings. So I think peace building, this is paramount. And I don't see peace only as war between nations, because this is the most excessive form and the most ugly form. But peace and war starts at individual level between people. So it can also be domestic violence. It can also be gangs fighting with each other. It can also be a community. And if even it can be, it's a bit maybe black and white, but I I was a bit shocked when I heard it. I was listening to someone from Israel. She's an advisor for the Ministry of Healthcare. And she was saying, we are creating a system of medical apartheid. And I really had to kind of, Sit for a while and Wow, this is really, really very serious, because it's a form of segregation. So this is also for me kind of um, a source of conflicts. If we are creating a society which is segregated now along the lines of yes you are vaccinated, you no you are not vaccinated, yes you are pro corona, you're this is ridiculous. This is not about about being pro or con. This is about all of us struggling in how to relate ourselves to this situation and everybody does it in their own way. And everybody is entitled to do it in their own way. So I feel that that peace is, is crumbling apart at all levels. Also at the more fundamental level of the, really the fabrics of our societies, because the moment that the debate is not more, not possible anymore, the the, the dialogue, the uh, also disagreeing. Yeah then what are we doing? We are losing what makes us essentially human.
0: So the the counter voices are being censored. Yeah. There's a a huge censorship going on. And and actually, I I, I read about it. Uh, what is happening with these bracelets sort of of medical uh, or vaccination? And uh, um, and of all countries in the world, the last country I would expect that, expect that from is uh, is Israel.
2: Yeah, no, I agree. I was uh, that's why she was she, the way she spoke. She was very concerned and also hurt. You know, she was. This was not a political statement. This was really uh, someone who was very worried about what are we doing? We are creating. Really prisons, open air prisons whereby, whereby if you follow the rules then you're kind of allowed out, literally you have more freedom of movement and otherwise you're kept inside if you think about it the, the magnitude of what this means for us and not only us, what's most frightening for the next generation if you hear the stories I hear from young people it's so frightening so frightening what they tell tell me that um, not only that, you know, they, they are having really a hard time in dealing with this situation, which is understandable, but they also see how it's dividing us. They are even having fights with their own parents about Corona because the parents, for instance, then are really, you know, they're, they're another generation they're talking about constitutional rights and about the freedom of speech, and and then the young people say, "But wait a minute, this is you are uh, corona uh, conspiracy theories." They say that to their parents, because the discussion is so black and white, and journalists are really not helping in this. So, so this is a,
0: yeah, this is really very really interesting. Um, uh, that if you do any kind of research on your own and you go follow the money, or you do analysis of the virus, you go and whatever, um, you will always be labeled as yeah. <clears throat> conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. Just it's because much easier to yeah. uh, to, to make you a fool and yeah. say, well, you know, uh, everything you have to say is nonsense because you're voppy, as they say, like yeah. you're a hippie, and that's not true even though you have done thorough research. And the most funny thing is that even the uh, scientists and the professors and etc. who proclaim similar things that we have to reevaluate what we're doing right now. Not, uh, again, we're not talking about, uh, about the virus on its own. It's existing, no. No, but no, no, no. more the measures that we're taking to destruct, yeah. uh, destruct uh, what you said uh, the fabric of our society
2: yeah I think this is the thing so immediately you're, you're labeled and you are you're put in, in in again in a box we only think in boxes we don't think anymore as autonomous free beings you're oh, either in uh, that box or in that box because it's so easy to it's part of the supply
0: chain <laughs> it's in boxes it's easier to yeah. transport that <laughs> yeah
2: so yeah so in that sense I've, i find that yeah i'm, I'm very concerned about what uh, what i hear from young people
0: totally different question if i would give you the possibility <laughs> to die with three people alive or dead or to live in three times per- time periods. Which one of those would it be, and which three would it be?
2: Well, one, one of them would definitely be Einstein, because I think Einstein was really misunderstood. I read his biography. We think of Einstein that he was a genius, he was good in everything, he was terrible at school. He failed math I don't know how many times, and he, he really was also very critical about school. So I would really want to understand... Yeah, to get to know, you know, what, what made you take the decisions you took in life and and yeah, somehow, because he was also a genius in, in, his, in his mind, but somehow at that time he already didn't fit into that box. So how did he deal with that? Because it was of course a, a totally t- different time. <laughs> I would want to understand that and so that's one of the people I would like to meet. Another one I would like to meet is Ricardo Semler. Ricardo Semler is a Brazilian, and he is um, he um, his father had a had a in the in the heavy equipment uh, industry had a company, which was really not going well. It was going towards bankruptcy, and then he he uh, his his son inherited the company. So the son was not very happy, of course. I thought, oh, thank you, Dad. (laughs) But he said, okay. It it became the the source of creativity. So he said, well, if I want to save this company, I have to do something really radical. And uh, he really developed a new way of managing a company. It's called the Semco style. It's already very old, but I read that book at the time and I was fascinated, completely opposite to all these pyramids that we have developed in all these organizations. Fascinating to to see how he did that. It, it is now a very successful company. But now he's working in education, also approaching it. But this, this guy, this Ricardo Sembler, has a totally different... Uh, perspective on everything on organizations on life on education so it would be fascinating to to yeah spend some hours with him and talk to him you know what made you do this in a time when this was really very revolutionary to really follow your passion and keep on doing that and if you watch his YouTube films, it, I find them still. I, I showed them, when I was teaching in Paris, uh, all these professional senior managers, I showed them a, a, re, a film of Ricardo Sembler, and they said, wow, this is one of the most important things I've seen in my life. And I thought, wow.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now put him uh, but, in practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought, well, then well, it's about time that, uh,
2: what did you do with all your time? Mm. And the third one is, um, she's a journalist. Oriana Fallaci. she was, um, um, she's already dead, but she was bold and brave and courageous and not the type of journalist that you have now. She really was, she wrote beautiful books about everything that happened in the Middle East. And she wrote about also the, um, happened in, in, uh, in Greece, beautiful books, but she was courageous not uncompromising in trying to bring the truth to light. So I would, um, yeah, if you still, if you read her, her her interviews are fascinating. I would love to meet her,
0: <laughs> yeah. I think that's uh, that's a beautiful list, uh, Celestia. Is, is there something I should have asked you, but I didn't?
2: Yeah, maybe you know what are also the things that um, I'm insecure about. We always try to portray ourselves as totally in control and about uh, successful and um, yeah, especially in, I think this is also what is the effect, eh? if if you become, reach a certain, what society sees as a certain status. People kind of make an image of who you are, oh wow, this is this woman has written this book, so this article, she's a doctor, but this has nothing to do with me as Saskia, human being. And this is what I want to be, this is how I want to be seen. So it's nice that I'm a doctor, but I want to be seen as Saskia. And Saskia is also insecure. And uh, in a sense, I feel at this moment very insecure. Because I feel that everything that we somehow, the way we have lived our lives till now, this moment, has come to a point where we discover, oh, but... it was leading to this situation somehow, you know, it wasn't really working. We pretended it was working, but now we're seeing it's not working. So what is the alternative? And while you see people groping, oh, we have to go back to normal. Oh, we have to go back to the past. No, 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 no. it's not possible. We only have to work through it. So I see it as a period of transition. And I feel that myself also of transition okay what, what is the what is the next step for god's sake not back to normal for God's not not say not back to what we had can we create a, a pathway to the future which is different and to create a pathway to the future you have to let go of things of the past and this is what i'm also feeling so what are the things that i have to let go to be able for myself also to create this path to the future while i'm creating also meaningful encounters with people and making a difference in someone's life.
0: I think that's uh, that's a, a beautiful insecurity to have, I would say. How to change yourself to be a better version of yourself.
2: Yeah, it is. Or
0: future self.
2: Yeah, but I think people, um, many people fear that because it means also that there's a moment of standing still, not knowing where to go. You don't have a goal. Uh, it's just sitting and thinking, and I think we should do that more often, just sit and do nothing. We have to develop this, this ability to just sit and do nothing and just maybe watch a bird fly by and enjoy that bird flying, that's it. So this seeking of stillness, we, we don't develop that. It's always, we have to do something, we have a meeting, we have an appointment, we have to develop ourselves, we, have to, we don't have to do anything, we just have to be. I'm reading a book, it's called I Am. It's teaching me, inter- this is the books I'm reading now. Fascinating lessons.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe maybe too, um, uh, I would say, rigid in, in that approach. And I say, I don't know if you're acquainted with the book and later on the film from uh, Polochkin, The Fight Club. Mm-hmm.
2: No, I
0: know. I don't. Um, well, it's um, uh, he, he. If you if you haven't seen the movie, I really suggest it. It's it's a bit violent movie, violent in a sense of, but it's all about finding yourself and being yourself and not accepting. And there are a few quotes that that always hang around. We work jobs we hate so we can buy shit we don't need. Um, <laughs> We spend time with that people you're... that
2: we don't want to spend with. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, accepting the fact that you're going to die, that you are the same decaying matter as everything else, that you're not going to live forever. Um, and uh, it, it's all about. I would say the current times. Only you can view it from various perspectives. You can you can view it as an action movie where guys are kicking each other in the head, or you can see what the moral and and the, even in his book he says like, "What the hell are you doing? You're reading your book, your 30 seconds of your life, where you could have experienced something else, enjoyed life. You're reading to this paper. Go live. <laughs> I mean the first page uh, and and." I mean, it's, it's similar with your questions, uh, what you said, like the future and being yourself and accepting the fact you, you don't have to do anything. I just want to be brain dead for a moment. <laughs> just <laughs> zero frequency, right? I don't yeah. think that we take time enough. This is why we are stress, we're anxious, we're tense. Um, we, we are yeah, not I'm, open-minded. I'm...
2: What's worse, we think we're not good enough if we don't do something. But just your being is already, that's what's important.
0: <laughs> but I think that we are, we are in search of pleasing other people's perceptions instead of our own. And through that, we do things that we don't like. Yeah. Uh, uh, on, 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 the, on the podcast that will come out this Saturday, a guy says, you have to realize what you have and see this is enough. You don't need a house of 2,000 square meters to be happier, to enjoy life. Yeah. You know, you can live very small and still be very, very happy uh, with your life. And it's actually um, appreciating and being thankful for the things that you have and then experiencing more. And seeing how you can help other people unconditionally um, instead of looking to please yourself with material goods to rise their envy of you. And to perceive you as a successful person according to the career terms. Um, you have the title, you have the books, etc. cetera. And nobody's really genuinely interested in who you are as a person or what drives you. And... Uh, it, this, this is me translating what you just said. No, in a
2: sense, this is what it is about. You know, if, if we if we don't appro- approach each other in in that way, by every time saying um, you're okay, this is very fundamental. I'm reading now. It's uh, I, it's um, a former student of mine attended me to this book. It's called the the Four Agreements. And it's a beautiful book. And one of one of the things they they say in this book is that um, the essence would I would say is that I am because we are. You are all we are, are. We are interconnected with each other, and what we do is that uh, we somehow um, are not able to look at each other really at who we truly are, but always through these glasses of expectations perceptions labels um yeah all the things that you do but not really but who are you as a person and so we uh, they describe it as mirrors you know we mirror each other while we are talking or while we are exchanging or having a conversation but the mirror is fogged because we are unable to see each other for who we truly are and this is something which is on a large scale in society. We don't see each other for who we truly are. And that's very, yeah, I think this is what what humanity is about. And this is why I find it so incomprehensible that I have still, I really have met people saying me as if they have uh, achieved something very big. I haven't hugged someone for 11 months and I can only cry when they say that because this is not an achievement. This is something to be very sad about because you have not been able to overcome your fear, which not is your own fear, but somebody has told you that you have to be fearful. So you, in a sense, you have totally lost touch with yourself because if you would have really stayed in touch, you would have made that decision, okay, now I'm going to hug someone because I really need that. And I don't want to even think about the percentage who sees it as an achievement that they have kept to these really inhumane rules. Because it's not a crime to hug someone. It's not irresponsible, but it's being labeled like that. And this is really, really very wrong.
0: I agree, I agree totally with you. It's uh, Again, we're conditioned and, yeah. and we're not thinking clearly.
2: No, we're not, that. no.
0: Saskia, it was great talking to you. Um, However, I have the last final question for you. And that is when you summarize all this experience that you have, and especially these, 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 um, being it forward or helping others unconditionally experiences. If you have your two cents or your key takeaway for our audience, what would it be? What is your key takeaway for our audience?
2: Well, I really believe very strongly in the fact that um, But this is my personal vision or opinion, I think the institutions uh, have failed us. Governments and the institutional framework is not working properly in also acknowledging the fact that we are human beings. So we have to take charge we have to take charge as citizens as civilians as human beings and uh, connect and join hands and say okay what do we need also to be able to face this and things that other things that will will occur in our lives and i really truly believe this is my biggest takeaway we really can all become peace builders i really honestly believe that if at uh, at uh, every single one of us commits to it we invest 13.5 trillion in, this, in terms of cost of war in war, the cost of war yearly. We invest in, in arms and in, in the, the arms trade is 2.5 trillion dollars yearly. If we make that effort at an individual level to commit to peace, also in, in your most near surrounding, I think then the world will become a better place. This is really for me uh, also what I've learned through the, the training we are offering with all these people that we are talking. And really we're, we're talking people in Kashmir, in, in, in African countries, in Latin America. So they, they are really, we are here with super privileged. They're really facing very difficult times and it's so intensely humane the way they're picking this up and believing in, okay, we have to do this together. This is my biggest takeaway, we have to do this together. We should not allow governments to separate us.
0: I think that's a, that's a beautiful message and a beautiful key takeaway for all our listeners. The peace begins at yourself in your inner circle and we have to do this together. Thank you very much, Saskia, it was great talking to you.
2: Yes, thank you so much, you too. And uh, it was really, really nice talking to you.
0: Thank you, I wish you all success in your endeavors and hopefully we will meet in physical form yeah. soon enough <laughs> yes
2: thank that's you. a promise okay bye-bye bye-bye
0: thank you very much for listening dear ladies and gentlemen that was Saskia Harkama next week our challenger and guest is Mark Veseling venture builder reinventing venture capital and here's a short part of our conversation
1: now, yeah, that, that's the culture, yeah? each strategy for breakfast, yeah? that's the same. So, so culture is of course really important. And the management is the ones who are setting down the, 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 the first layer of the onion, uh, how I always refer to it. And And they need to show uh, uh, the, the culture, they need to be the culture. Uh, and, 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 and telling about it doesn't, doesn't count. It's by yeah, leading by example, very simple. Uh, and 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 transparent, uh, and also have uh, I really believe in, in also sharing. Right? So so the upside uh, uh, participation uh, of of employees is also also really important. Uh, in, in 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 most of the European countries, it's quite difficult to set up uh, 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 employee participation schemes the uh, and, and employee, employee stock option plans what, 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 what they call it. and we one of the ventures the, the that I've been building in the past years is also facilitating that so I, participation is really really important uh, and besides of course op, uh, as part of the culture
0: are you curious about the rest of Mark's story tune in next week to learn all about his life's journey failures and successes and what it takes to have a successful startup for now this was challenging the status quo podcast season two with your host amir sabirovich stay safe and healthy and until next week ciao